0: Hello and welcome back to Recover to Flourish, the podcast that aims to debunk all things eating disorder recovery and bring some light to your eating disorder recovery journey. I am so pleased you are here and this episode is going to really help you with those inner thoughts and that inner dialogue that people experience in their eating disorder recovery journey. I am joined by a really, really special guest called Meg, who's also a eating disorder recovery coach like myself. So Meg, do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? And welcome yourself to the podcast,
1: yes, well, thank you so much for having me. It is so exciting to be here. I'm honored to be here. Uh, my name is Meg McCabe. I am an eating disorder recovery coach. I was certified through the Carolyn Coston Institute. I have my own private practice. I'm the host of the Full and Thriving Podcast, which I definitely want to have Keandra as a guest so Stay tuned for that. And then I am the founder and CEO of The Recovery Collective, which is a virtual online eating disorder recovery community, which helps bring more group work and connection into your recovery journey. So, oh man, there's so much. And then I also am recovered from an eating disorder myself, and I have lived experience, which I think helps to helping my clients and supporting them along the way.
0: Definitely. I think that lived experience is is so important that you can actually bring your own perspective to things. So I'm, you know, super excited to have you as a guest. And I think for this episode specifically, knowing what it's actually like to have an eating disorder and those thoughts is super important. Mm. So I think it's it's really important to recognize that a lot of people from the outside think that eating disorders are like, they don't make sense. But there actually is an inner logic to somebody experiencing an eating disorder. And the psychological problems that people can experience include negative thinking, low self-esteem, perfectionism and obsessions. And yeah. I suppose despite the difficulty eating disorders cause, it can feel difficult for somebody to want to get better. And, and that's about those cognitive distortions and those inner thought processes that actually we need to raise awareness about and how to get over. So I don't know if you want to start with maybe explaining what are some of the negative thought patterns or or distortions that an individual with an eating disorder might have? Thank you. Yes.
1: It is really tough to have an eating disorder brain, right? Because it can be so controlling, so dominating, and mostly everything you end up acting from is a place of fear, right? When you have this eating disorder in control. And so it's important to learn about cognitive distortions so that you can easily identify when your brain is feeding you these cognitive distortions that are causing you distress. So the first type of cognitive distortion I want to bring up is all or nothing thinking or also called black and white thinking. And that can look like, oh, well, I'm either eating my meal plan or I'm totally restricting, right? It's like there is that huge range where you could be And that person is taking it as, oh, I'm either doing my meal plan perfectly or I'm letting it all fall off the bandwagon. And I find that that can cause distress because there's no acknowledgement of maybe how hard you're working to be at that meal plan, or maybe you're somewhere in the middle trying to get to that place and to that goal. And I know also all or nothing thinking can look like I'm either recovering or I'm not which is something you mentioned before, like people get truly stuck into that pattern of only seeing themselves doing it perfectly or being in relapse, right? There's so many other experiences that you could be having that are a little bit more in the gray zone.
0: Definitely, and I think as well to kind of raise awareness of maybe other eating disorders, I think in specific cases of binge and restrict eating disorder, it's like mm-hmm. many individuals kind of go, well, I've already eaten too much already today, therefore I'm going to binge. It's yeah. kind of that I've done it, like, and then throw everything out of the, out of the water or, you know, or even the other way is like, I skip breakfast, so I might as well skip lunch. It's kind of that all, yep. all or nothing polarized thinking, isn't it? And that, and that is only kind of one of the, the cognitive distortions. I know another example that I could bring to the table is like that personalization. So mm-hmm. taking responsibility for things that aren't your fault. And, and in the cases of eating disorder recovery, it's like thinking about maybe weight gain. You know, if, if you, let's say that you are an example of you're due to go on a date and you are in recovery and you recently, like for that week, you'd gained weight and which is great in the eyes of recovery. And obviously recovery isn't all about weight gain, but if your journey is weight restoration, then it's something that's really positive. But in the eyes of somebody with an eating disorder, it might have been a real struggle. And therefore, let's say the day comes and you're going on the date and they stand you you up, you might therefore thinking, well, it's my fault because I gained weight. That's because of this. Mm-hmm. So it's that taking things personally and things like you know, I chose my eating disorder. It's my fault. You're thinking very much blame and and that inner kind of that. I always think it that backbashing their behaviour.
1: Yeah, that's such a difficult one because you're truly like taking maybe a situation that is not your fault and somehow connecting it to being your fault like that date is a really good example or even maybe you're sitting at a dinner table and your aunt just had a really terrible day at work so she comes to dinner feeling like grouchy and her energy's different and maybe you personalize that and being like oh she really thinks i'm failing at recovery and she thinks i'm not doing my plan today or i'm not good enough for this you know and at the end of the day it has nothing to to do with you. It's everything to do with what she experienced at work that day. You're reading into it a little too much.
0: Definitely. I think that links to a, a, another cognitive distortion is actually disqualifying the positive. Mm. you know and actually that they I think a lot of these cognitive distortions go hand in hand so with that example actually kind of that blame on the self but then actually disqualifying any positive so for instance somebody saying that you look healthy I know that example of people with eating disorders sometimes notably feel a lot of anxiety if somebody says oh you look healthier in the brain of somebody with an eating disorder it it can often mean oh that must have mean I've gained too much weight but actually, their intention might have been good and it might have actually meant you look healthier. Things, you know, we're happy to see you looking slightly better. And obviously, it's not a great comment, but it's not meant with any harm. But actually, somebody with an eating disorder might have seen that as this is really negative. I'm going to let my eating disorder win to take that control back.
1: Mm-hmm. I see that all the time. And I think disqualifying the positives can also look like not giving yourself any credit for how far you've come in recovery. I see that one a lot too. I think one reason why I love being a coach is being able to point out to the people who are constantly disqualifying themselves, right, um, from the positive progress and saying to them like, hey, six months ago, you were struggling with this, this, and this, and that's not even a problem anymore. So reminding yourself to give yourself credit for the good things that are happening in your life. World, because you are making recovery choices every day
0: definitely I think for somebody with an eating disorder I know from my own experience it kind of that the eating disorder itself was like a project in which I suppose excelled at you know that source of achievement (laughs) and self worth and maybe that comes from perfectionist tendencies which are often seen with those of an eating disorder not always but you know often that weight loss was seen as a, a marker of achievement it made you feel good about yourself and I think again all of these thoughts can be used for good and this is the thing you know perfectionist tendencies in Essence aren't necessarily a bad thing, but when you have a mentality of that all or nothing thinking and maybe using it for a goal that isn't good, then it's really kind of negative for the individual.
1: Yes. I think you bring up a really good point about being able to recognize like perfectionism, for example, isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, for instance, being a perfectionist in your career can result in Amazing accomplishments and organization and the development of new ideas and programs within whatever you're doing. So instead of thinking no perfectionism is allowed in recovery, you can say to yourself, how can I redirect my perfectionistic tendencies towards healing, right? How do I redirect that? So you're using your kind of quote liability as an asset, right? Which is perfectionism can be used to your benefit, which I love thinking about that. As a coach, I have a client right now who, you know, she has struggled with perfectionism, even OCD, and she's kind of leveraging those two qualities to staying consistent and holding herself accountable to eating regularly and enough every single day. It's an interesting take.
0: Definitely. And I think that's about, I always bring up the point of actually achieving at recovery. People often discount the fact that actually it's an achievement and it is a real goal to be recovered. So flip it on its head. And Mm -hmm. you know, that maybe thinks about the, another type of cognitive distortion that we haven't discussed is like that magnification or catastrophizing. You know, thinking of of maybe what the worst could happen of recovery. And I don't know about you, of your experience with that, or even your clients of that, it's the end of the world. Yes. Oh my gosh.
1: I feel like I see this one all the time. The one where someone's afraid that if they start eating, they'll never stop. And so, you know, one way to challenge catastrophizing is to find evidence against the claim, right? So if your eating disorder is lying to you and saying, oh, if you eat this, you're never going to be able to stop. Well, think about the other people in recovery who have overcome fear foods and eaten and large amounts of food. Eventually, your body wants to stop, like on a physiological level, your body will stop eating at some point. Anyway, I could keep going on that, but it is an example of catastrophizing. I see pretty much every single day.
0: Definitely. I think it may be something to draw upon actually from the training that you've done, um, CCI, there's a really good book, The Eight Eight Key Steps to mm-hmm. Recovery. And I'm sure you will have read it yourself. And there is a part of it about trying to recognize the eating disorder voice mm. and the healthy voice. And yeah. that a lot of the time with all of these kind of cognitive distortions, when you've got to a point, you can recognize the healthy self and the eating disorder self. And I don't know if you have any kind of examples or or more kind of insight into that, you know, the the split part of you.
1: Absolutely. So whenever someone has an eating disorder, it's really like an internal conflict, right? A division of self. So there's a part of you that is really sick and is mean to yourself and is obsessed with food, preoccupied with food. And then there's a part of you that knows that this is not okay. Right. <laughs> it. Feels uncomfortable with how poorly you're treating yourself or how obsessed with food you are. And that part of you is your healthy self. And you can start tuning into that throughout your recovery process and strengthening up the healthy self so that it's back in control. Because when you have an eating disorder, those thoughts are controlling your actions. But you can practice growing and strengthening. The healthy self by learning about your values and learning different tools and techniques on how to really challenge that eating disorder in the moment.
0: Definitely, and and I think it's, it comes down to the stages of change, doesn't it? The stages of change of anything is maybe at the start of your recovery or in stage one, where you don't actually recognise you've got a problem. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. and it goes to the point of actually recognising that your thoughts aren't true because. And, you know, I take this from experience when you are in the midst of an eating disorder, it feels so real. And if somebody said to you, well, it doesn't make sense. Why are you doing this? It can be very dismissive and actually anxiety provoking because you're like, I truly believe this as real. And it's like, you know, drawing upon examples, not just with eating disorders, but actually, you know, OCD, for instance, it's like the fear is so real. It presents itself as real. The anxiety is real. So if somebody says, well, that doesn't make sense, it can be really dismissive. And I don't know if that's something that you've recognized before.
1: Oh yeah. And it's a really confusing experience when the eating disorder is so strong and you barely have glimmers of the healthy self shining through, like you might feel like you're just the eating disorder, like there is no part of you. So a lot of times it takes working with a team to really start to separate and identify the difference between your healthy self and your eating disorder self. And it can only show up sometimes in your sessions before it starts showing up in your mind.
0: Definitely. And I think it comes through You know, accepting that there is a problem and that goes through any form of treatment, not just with a coach. You could be with a therapist, you know, even Mm -hmm. seeing a nutritionist, dietitian, and actually going, okay, I need to do something about it. And maybe the worst won't happen. And, Mm -hmm. you know, research shows that some people might develop cognitive distortions as a way of coping with adverse life events. So I always think about saying your thoughts aren't healthy for you. Okay, that's all well and good. But what if it's somebody's lifeline to have those thoughts? What if it's somebody's way of coping with inner trauma that they've experienced? And I suppose when these types of events are prolonged or more severe, it's more likely distortions will form and it will become second nature. So it's about maybe layers you know, going through layers of treatment of going, actually, the thoughts are there, but what are they hiding? What are they doing? And what what is the role that they play? And what would maybe happen if you didn't have them?
1: Yes, you bring up such a good point, which is that eating disorders are truly a form of like maladaptive coping. And in that moment, no matter what age you were, when you got your eating disorder, you were doing the best you can to cope with the emotions or the trauma that you were dealing with, right? And so I want everyone to just have some compassion for themselves and recognize my brain was patterned this way to keep me safe and protect me from maybe a feeling of overwhelm or shame or fear. So that's why recovery is so hard because you have to start identifying your thoughts, like really looking at your thoughts, also connecting to the feelings that, are near those thoughts or underneath those thoughts and really, truly feeling with them. So a lot of times you have to practice feeling your emotions and coping with them in a different way because the eating disorder is no longer the way, you know, the best way that you can cope now that you are aware. Healing requires you to let go of that coping mechanism and turn towards other things that are more healthy and productive for you to thrive.
0: Definitely. But actually dealing with the other side of that can sometimes be incredibly anxiety provoking. You know, that real pain that I see individuals experience when you actually start to ask them to challenge that part of them that actually feels so safe. And it's not necessarily, you know, it's thinking very logically and and maybe individuals with eating disorders think logically. It's like, actually, this is not helpful for me. But trying to take that away or change it can be also very hard. So it's about learning to kind of use tools to get past that. And I suppose it's a really good point now of maybe moving on to how can you work on improving those negative eating disorder thoughts? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great question.
1: Well, I like to think that every time you become aware of an eating disorder thought in your mind, it's really an opportunity for you to practice challenging that thought. So in that moment, handing your healthy self the mic and engaging in a dialogue between the healthy self and the eating disorder self, and really rooting for the healthy self to get the the gold medal at the end of this conversation, right? So there are different tools and tactics you can do. And I can run through a few of them really quickly, but the first one that I love that I think is kind of like the cornerstone of challenging the eating disorder voice is if the eating disorder says something, practice responding to that voice as if a loved one said that to you. So that really practices bringing out your sense of compassion because so many of us can be so much nicer to our loved ones the people we care about than to ourselves so it practices almost like trying on the compassion hat through another lens so if your eating disorder says this world just feels so out of control right now you really need to skip lunch in order to feel safe imagine your 10 year old niece said that to you like i really need to skip lunch today you wouldn't say, oh, good idea. Like, you would never say that to her. You would say, you know what? Like, what's wrong with you? Or Is everything okay? Like, how can I help? Let's have lunch together. Or what's making the world so hard? So practicing using self-compassion as if a loved one said that to you is the number one tool, I think, to begin with.
0: Um, Definitely. I think that's a really, it's a really nice one to say. And I think something as an addition to that is a lot of the times when I've, you know, we've talked through that with, with a client myself and it's going, but I don't think highly of myself. I don't like myself. So why would I talk that way of myself? Well, then it's actually working on building somebody's self-esteem up thinking about positive affirmations things they like about themselves so I think it's like always looking holistically because sometimes thinking okay yes I wouldn't think that way or talk that way to my my sister or my friend but actually I don't see that for me and that's why working on that inner love is so important to add as an addition to that
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that is the biggest challenge with that tool is that people say, well, I can't say this for myself. And that's why it's a tool. We are practicing using it. Like, just give it a go. Give it a practice. See if it can work for you when you're in your session, right? See how it feels. It might feel really uncomfortable. But I want you to start thinking about self-compassion as kind of an act of resourcefulness, not just, oh, like, poor baby, like, that must be so hard. You know, people think compassion is like being babied, but it's not. It's really like a tool. It's a bridge to being more productive. And so maybe you need to think about compassion and self-compassion a little bit differently as well.
0: Definitely. And, And seeing it as this is what I deserve And that comes down to, that is a big part of recovery is actually, I deserve to nourish myself. I deserve to think well about myself because a lot of the times, and I know it from me, you know, let's say back when I was struggling with an eating disorder, I thought that saying good things about myself was big headed and I'd never do that because I don't feel any good things about myself. But actually now I really celebrate the great parts of myself because Mm -hmm. why not? We're our own cheerleader. And I think everyone needs to get to that point.
1: Mm -hmm. I think people need to start giving themselves permission to feel good, giving themselves permission to feel good about themselves. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with being nice to yourself. It is actually a better strategic move in life in the long term um, to start being kind to yourself. Your life gets so much easier. It's hard enough to be on this earth as it is sometimes so try the compassion on just give it a shot
0: (laughs) definitely and I think there's other couple of other things that might help with that is Mm -hmm. it's actually writing things down so journaling and I know everyone suggests journal but actually in regards to these thoughts getting them down on paper and actually writing Mm -hmm. the healthy dialogue and the eating disorder dialogue actually puts it to paper you're like oh this makes sense this makes a lot more sense to me than if it was just in my head. So yeah. that would be an, another thing yeah. I, I think that's important to mention. And also my only final thing that can help is sometimes removing numerical measures. And I mean that as if you're obsessed with like the scale or things that actually give numeracy to your obsessive thoughts. Mm. Get rid of them in your start of your recovery. And if obviously you're getting monitored by a health team, that is something that's there. But remove it from your own power it helps to kind of remove that obsession. Yes.
1: Oh my gosh. So true. Um, Definitely work on removing the numbers as soon as you can. And I love that you bring up the idea of writing down the dialogues too, because when you do that, you start to see that the eating disorder is not as smart as you think it is. It is a broken record. It says the same things over and over and over again. And when you write them out, you're also giving the healthy voice a chance to to express its truth. And that might be the first time you've allowed your healthy self to really express a thought outwardly and openly in a very long time. So I love writing it down.
0: Definitely. And I think, you know, there's so many tools and techniques, but ultimately what I would always say is if you are struggling with an eating disorder, don't do it alone. You know, there's many individuals out there that can help you with your journey, Meg and I are just two examples of that coaches, but you know, find a treatment provider that works for you and actually speak to somebody. And if you don't have the ability to speak to a, you know, a, a treatment provider, there's charities and also friends and family there that, that can help with your recovery journey. And I just want to reach out to every single one of you and just let you know you're not alone with your thoughts and you're not alone with the feelings you're experiencing and you know i'm sure meg and i are happy to kind of be there for any questions that you do have about this episode and we'll i'll I'll leave all the information down in the show notes but you know i i really hope that you found this episode helpful and feel a bit less alone so you know thank Mm -hmm. you for joining me meg you
1: are very welcome thank
0: you so much for having me amazing. And I will see you all in my next episode. Thank you so much and bye. Bye.